which we're commanded to continue in the New Testament. We're going to look at the last one in which we're to continue in. And then, Lord willing, next week we're going to see one that we're commanded not to continue in. So for this, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And here we're commanded to continue in brotherly love. Now, in this series, we already looked at that we're to continue in the love of Christ, in which we examine a point that we're continue, uh, as we continue in the love of Christ, we're to demonstrate His love to the brethren. Now we're going to focus on that love for the brethren and look at several ways in which um, brotherly love is to manifest itself. And so we're going to look here in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1. Very simple verse says, let brotherly love continue. Now again, <clears throat> the word continue there is in the imperative or the command form. It's a command, so we are to continue in brotherly love. Now the Greek word there is the word Philadelphia. So we, we obviously have a city, at least one, that I was aware of, and I'm sure there's more, in the one, but especially the one in Pennsylvania that is very famous, the city of brotherly love. Now, if you've ever been to Philly, you would not know that. More like the city of brotherly shove, we used to call it. Anyhow, but that is what the idea has to be. Now, understand, in the English language, we have one word, love. The Greeks had actually several words for love, and some of which actually are never used in Scripture. Um, but the two primary ones, there are three used in Scripture, two primary ones, phileo, or Philadelphia, if, depending on how it, what the ending of the word is, is the brotherly love. And then the agape love, which is also used very often, is the selfless sacrificial love. And we're going to look a little bit at both of those this morning as we examine brotherly love. And so three aspects of brotherly love that I want us to see. Firstly, we'll notice the, that brotherly love is genuine. It's genuine. You say, well, that should be obvious. There is a lot of people in our world today that will use the words, I love you, but really don't mean, I love you. The eros love is a love that loves for the benefit of me. What can you give me? So that's not true love, although... Some use it as a form of love. Secondly, brotherly love is taught of God. So, in order to have a true love for one another that grows from a brotherly love into the agape love, we need to be following the Spirit of God and allow Him to teach us. Then lastly, brotherly love unifies. And so these are some reasons why we must continue in brotherly love. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, again, thank you for this opportunity to examine your word. And as we look at this command to continue in brotherly love, again, Father, I pray that each of us would practice that and understand the importance of having a true love for one another. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're using uh, Hebrews 13 as the springboard, if you will, into this message, because it's the passage that commands us to um, let brotherly love continue. But I want to, as we look at these different aspects of love, we're going to turn to a couple different passages. So let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, let love be without dissimulation, abhor, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love, and honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. So we see here, love is genuine. Now, in verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Now, the word love there in verse 9 is actually not the brotherly love, but the agape love. But it says, be without dissimulation. Now, how many have used that word in a sentence in the last month? Right? That's what I thought. So how many can define dissimulation? Fake, not genuine. So... In other words, that we, we, without fakeness, we need to have a sincerity in our love. You see, when, the, when, when some say, I love you, but they're trying to get something out of you, that's not a genuine love. A, love ben, a, a, a true love is not trying to get something reciprocated. It is loving for the benefit of the one loved such as Christ coming and dying for us on the cross of Calvary while we were yet sinners. Did we do anything to deserve his love? No. Do we earn his love? No. He loved us anyhow. He demonstrated his love while we were still his enemies, while we were still sinners. And I'll tell you, I've heard an attitude, and I hear it even among Christians, and I hope it drives you as nuts as it drives me, and that is the attitude of, fake it till you make it. You ever hear that one? I hear that one all the time. I even have, have heard Christians use that attitude. And I said, don't fake it till you make it. Be genuine. Be who you are. And if it's not where it needs to be, then you need to allow God to change you. But don't fake it. Now, I think to a certain extent, unfortunately, all of us do that very thing and probably many times unintentionally, we put on a facade of who we're not instead of being genuine and real. You know, though, I know most in this church are very real, genuine people. Who you say you are is who you really are. That's the way it should be, right? There should not be this fake facade because God already knows your heart. He already knows who you really are. And as I said, if who you really are is not what God wants you to be, then instead of faking it, how about allow God to change you to what you need to be? Wouldn't that make more sense? But the fake it to your make it attitude also applies with people's love toward one another because they'll fake it. Well, I'm supposed to love other Christians, so I'll put on the smile on I'm tolerating you, but I really don't like you on the inside. You know, that type of thing. There's really not a real genuine love for one another. But people also try to do this with God. Do we not see in Isaiah 29, 13, Wherefore the Lord saith, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. I love God. You know, it is amazing to me the shift in listening to political candidates in the last three to four years that all of a sudden 
all of them became Christians. You know why? Because it's a popular thing to say in this area, and now all of a sudden, every one of them are saying it. Now, they will sit there and cuss and fuss, and you, you know they treat people horribly, and there is no evidence of any... There's no fruit of salvation in their lives. Let's put it that way. They don't go to church. They know nothing of their Bible. They don't study the Word of God. You never heard them pray. You never heard them say anything about God. You never heard them talk any spiritual thing. All you heard is vulgarity out of their mouth. But now they're a candidate, and I want to praise God that I'm a Christian. Well, la-ti-da. Sorry. But you can draw near God with your mouth, but your heart's showing something else. You say, now come on, preacher, you're judging. No, I'm not trying to be a judge. I'm trying to be a fruit inspector. Because where's the evidence of this Christian life you claim to have? And then you talk to them about things. You know, I mean, I'm a Christian as they have a drink in their hand, you know? You say, oh, well, Christians think it's okay to drink. Well, I don't understand why they do. And even if they, should, even if they, even if they do think they sh- it's okay to drink... You know, there's many commands about those in authority should not be drunk. So are they still violating Scripture because they're running for a position of authority? We could look at it many different ways, and every, any way you look at it, they're still wrong. The former governor of North Carolina was invited to a, or a group by one of my friends, um, Gary Miller, and to basically introduce the... Um, Lieutenant Governor, I believe, was the guest speaker for the event. And his job as a Senate candidate was to introduce the guest speaker. Well, he turned it into a big campaign speech, and Gary tried cutting him off. And he goes, basically says, um, I drove six hours to get here, uses the Lord's name in vain, and says, I'm going to speak. And Gary got in his face and said, you are done. And I called Gary, I saw the video of this because it was videoed. And I called Gary and I congratulated him and said, thank you for taking a stand for our Lord because this man standing there claiming to be a Christian, using God's name in vain in a Christian meeting. And Gary said, that's not happening here. Let love be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Christian, do we truly hate evil? I feel too often we're comfortable with the evil in this world. We're comfortable with the things that this world does that go against our Savior. Because we hear it so often, we're bombarded by the world all the time, and we start to adopt these worldly philosophies You know, all this political correctness stuff and all this other things that are Christians try to be careful in calling sin, sin. You know, we even even use the worldly terms. Well, they're having an affair instead of saying they're committing adultery. And I'm not trying to be unkind, but let's call it what God did, right? Well, they're gay. You know, the word gay means happy. So why don't we call them what God did? Sodomites. And you know why the Bible uses that term? Because it was supposed to remind us of God's judgment on a city called Sodom. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Do we truly 
love good. I hear Christians call other Christians who try to live a holy life, oh, you're just a goody two-shoes. Oh, you're just trying to be a holier than thou. Now, some people, I will admit, treat others with a condescending spirit of, I have arrived spiritually and you have not, therefore I'm better than you. Okay, so that is a pride issue. Okay, I get that. But I'm talking ones who are generally trying to follow God with a humble spirit, and yet others are so quick to judge them. Oh, you're just trying to be judgy to us. You know what many times that is? Guilt. Conviction. Verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Now, kindly affection and brotherly love are both different forms of the verb phileo. So it's two different ways of saying have this brotherly love toward one another. So do we truly treat others with kindness? 1 Corinthians 13, 4, in its description or definition of love, says, charity suffereth long and is kind. So do we prefer one another, look at the end of the verse, verse 10, in honor preferring one another? Or do we get so stubborn sometimes that my way is the only way and it must be my way and we cannot discuss any other way because I said so? You know, I appreciate the men we have in this church. There have been many times when I pull them together for a meeting before we bring something to the church body to present it, and I'm like, gentlemen, here's my thoughts, what I have. And here's some of the ideas I've had and some of the ways in which I think we could handle this. And then one of them will say, have you considered? Nope, I did not. And then somebody else will say, yeah, but, you know, there's also the third option of maybe this could work. And then somebody else will say, well, you know, if we take all three ideas and we put it together, we can come up with this hybrid idea, right? Ed, has it not happened that way? And then we find out when we're all not insisting that my way is the only way and the best way, and we all put our minds together, we come up with a better plan than any one of us would have come up with in the beginning. That's kind of how it's supposed to work. By the way... You do realize there's a reason why there's five commissioners here in the city. There's seven commissioners in the county. There's 120 representatives in the state. And there's 400, and I always forget the number, but over 400 representatives in the nation. You know why? They're supposed to put their minds together and come up with a better plan. You know what the problem is? We don't. We stand on our side. We're right. We stand on their side. We're right. And we will not compromise. We will not, we will not come to any agreement. And now I understand sometimes you use the word compromise. People are like, oh, that's a bad word. Well, it depends on how you define that word, okay? Compromising our principles, yes, that's wrong. But compromising to come up with a plan that's actually going to work, that might actually be a good thing. And we can apply this not just in government, but at work, at home, in any of our relationships, sometimes we've got to learn how to communicate and deal with each other, don't we? And we also need to value others' opinions and, ha and understand that others have a good input into the situation. I have learned over the years, while I am called to be the head of my house, God has given my wife insight that he has not given me. And I do well to counsel with her before I make decisions many times in the home. You know what I'm saying? Men, have you ever figured this out? If not, today's a good day, Mother's Day, to figure out, listen to your wife. Now, 
It doesn't mean that there's times when you're going to say, honey, I, I appreciate your input, but I believe this is the way God is leading, and you still make that decision, and sometimes you're right, and sometimes you're wrong, and when you're wrong, she'll let you know, I told you so. Um, but when you're right, she'll never admit that you were right, but that's okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> sometimes she does. But many times, if you're listening to the input of your wife will save you heartache later. Especially if the situation deals with another lady. Women can read women. Trust me. Moving on. Verse 11. Love is diligent, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. A true love is going to be diligent, working, not slothful, having a desire to follow God and serve Him. Christian, if you go to work and do just the bare minimum to get by, what kind of testimony are you setting? You say, yeah, but if I do more, then the boss wants to give me more work. Understand, but understand what, what is more important. Your testimony, you tell them that you are a child of God. You tell them that you're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. Then shouldn't they have a reasonable expectation of you to be one of their best workers? Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. The word patient has the idea of calm endurance. When trials come, do we panic like the world does? Or do we just ride the storm with a calm endurance? Knowing that God is in control. We need to learn to trust God. Folks, we have a lot that we can complain about. We all have trials. We all have struggles. But do we trust God? Because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not times when there may be a potential situation. We don't prepare. We don't, you know, take caution. I'm not saying throw all caution to the wind, okay? But I'm saying that we need to learn to trust God. And no matter what happens, he's still in control. But let's look again at that verse. Rejoicing and hope. Again, hope is not the world's hope of, well, I hope so, wish so, you know, type hope. But it is a, an assurance. I have an assurance of heaven. I know that the worst that can happen to me is they, somebody kills me and ushers me in the presence of Christ, right? That's the absolute worst that can happen. Just don't torture me in the process. But even if they do, God will give the grace, won't he? Patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Again, going back to the message we had recently on prayer, is God, are we in constant communication with God? Are we praying about all things? And then verse 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. A true love is going to be a giving love. A true love is going to look for the needs of others and help the needs of others and to be hospitable. So brotherly love is genuine. Let's look secondly. The brotherly love is taught of God. For this, we'll turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, he says, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. God teaches us that we are to love one another. We have, Christian, the privilege of having the indwelling Holy Spirit that we're told in John 14, 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. He will teach you in all things. Aren't you glad the Holy Spirit teaches us? John 6, 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all Be all taught of God, every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. So we're taught of God to love. Ephesians 5, 2, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. I see even among Christians a selfishness of I can't love them I won't love them well you don't know what they did to me no but I know what each of us did to Christ we've sinned against him haven't we yet he still loved us and so let's go back to the verse and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us aren't you glad God didn't put stipulations on his love for you I'll love you unless I'll love you until I can't love you because God has not said those things, has he? Then how dare we? Peter says this in 1 Peter 1.22, Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. So then, in order for us to have this love for one another, we need to keep a pure heart. Now, when we were saved, God created a new heart in us, right? A new man in us. But if we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to continue to control us, then who is controlling us? The flesh. And what's the default of the flesh? Sin. Sin is the opposite of having a pure heart. And so we've got to be continually yielding to the Spirit of God so that we can be filled with the Spirit of God, controlled by the Spirit of God, so that we can have a pure heart because it's out of a pure heart that we have a genuine love for one another. But when we allow self to get in the way, what happens? We start thinking of me. And we start to stop loving others the way we should be because we're too in love with self. But brotherly love should grow into an agape love. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8, And besides all this, giving diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, that's the brotherly love, and then to brotherly love, we're to add what? Charity. That's the agape love. So it's to grow into the agape love. For in these things, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we see that brotherly love unifies. And for this, we'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes, Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another, 
Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Love with one mind. You see, our love is to show the world that we're true followers of Christ. John 13, 35, Jesus said, By this shall all the men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. You know, one of the greatest criticisms I hear of Christianity, you all can't even get along with yourselves. Now, is that a legitimate criticism of the world? Well, if Jesus said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another, then the Christians, we Christians should be characterized by a unifying love, right? That shows that we are disciples of Christ. So when there's infighting in the churches, when churches are splitting over the color of carpets and over, you know, you sat in my pew and all kinds of ridiculous things that people fight over, yes, I believe it is a legitimate criticism of the world to say, you say you're followers of Christ. Christ has given you this command and you don't even follow it. Why should I believe what you say you are? Is that true? I thank God for the unity we have here at this church. Never take it for granted. But our mutual love for Christ will bring us into unity among ourselves. Peter says, finally, be all of one mind. In other words, we're to be harmonious. Now, it doesn't mean we're never going to have disagreements, okay? Some people define unity as we never disagree. Okay, as long as you have more than one person in the room, you're going to have disagreements. And sometimes, even when it's just one person in the room, you'll have disagreement. You ever disagree with yourself? If not, those are great conversations. But the question is, how do we deal with the disagreements? Well, I'm going to take my ball and go home because you didn't do it my way. No, it means we're going to work out our disagreements in the spirit of meekness and realize the cause of Christ is better than my own personal preferences. Now, if the disagreement is over doctrine, then you better stand strong because we're not going to compromise on the Word of God. But if the disagreement is over a preference, does it really matter what color the carpet is? In eternity, are we still going to be concerned about it? The work of Christ is to take precedence over our personal desires. In other words, if somebody else's idea is as good as yours, be willing to give deference. Hey, we could go with that. Does it really matter? Instead of criticizing the work of others, how about volunteer to help? You know, I don't mean this to be unkind, but sometimes I just want to tell people, well, if you can do it so much better, go ahead. How about we thank those that are doing the work? I got a pastor friend that said to me one time, he goes, you know, sometimes working with volunteers can be frustrating because when people volunteer, sometimes it's not done the way you would like it to be done. He said, so I learned I got a choice. I could either complain about what they're doing or I could realize they did 50% of the work it saved me doing the 50%. I might have to finish up the other 50%, but at least they got a 50% right. You know, that's a good attitude to have. And I think that's an attitude each of us should have is, you know what? It may not be the way I would do it, but I'm thankful for their time and that they're willing to do what they did do. And so he writes, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of, uh, one of another. 
Compassion, Webster defines it this way, suffering with, one, uh, with another, painful sympathy, a sensation of sorrow excited by the distress or misfortune of another. Pity, commiseration, compassion is a mixed passion compounded of love and sorrow. At least some portion of love generally attends to the pain or regret or is exercised by it, or excited by it, rather. So compassion, having a sympathy toward one another. Now, you and I need to have compassion toward one another. When somebody's going through a situation, we need to be careful how we handle that situation. Okay? And I learned this years ago, and this is, applies in every area of life. But I remember when I was in hospital corpsman basic that our academic advisor was a lieutenant. She was a nurse. And she said, be careful never to say to a patient, I know how you feel unless you've been through what they're going through. That applies not just to the medical field, but truthfully, every area of life. You know, I've had to deal with people who've lost a child. I cannot say to them, I know how you feel. You know why? I've never lost a child. I've had to deal with people who've had other situations in life, and I can say, I do know how you feel because I've been there. But when we, so that's one of the things we try to say to others. I know how you feel. You can actually create more of an offense by saying that if you really don't know. So how can you still show compassion toward the individual at a time like that? Here's what I say. You, you, there's other ways, but here's what I try to say many times is, I have no idea how you feel because I've never been there. But I do know this. In the situations I have been in, I find comfort because God is the God of all comfort. I'm not trying to say, I know how you feel in this situation. God, I don't. And by the way, those very words saying, I don't know how you feel because I've never been there. I've had people stop me right there and say, thank you. The first person has actually said that. That alone actually can be an encouragement to others. I don't know how you feel. And you can say this, I don't know how you feel, but I know who one who does because Jesus knows exactly how they feel. But let's learn to show compassion to one another. Now, I understand sometimes there are people in life, you want to tell them, here's a straw, suck it up. And I can neither confirm nor deny whether in certain cases that has been appropriate, or even if it wasn't appropriate, whether I did it. But uh, <laughs> there is a time for compassion. But then also, Peter writes, Love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. Brotherly love shows courtesy. Again, Webster defines it this way, polite, well-bred, being of elegant manners, civil, obliging. We have lost the ability to uh, disagree agreeably. In our American society, we have lost the ability to disagree agreeably. To be able to say to somebody, I disagree with you. Our interim city manager, and I don't even remember the topic, but I do remember he and I having a probably a, an hour and a half conversation on a topic, and he explained his entire philosophy on the issue. I explained my entire philosophy on the issue. I understood where he was coming from. He understood where I was coming from, but neither of us were willing to change our position on it. And we walked out of the room smiling, 
and laughing because we agreed to disagree agreeably. It was two different ways of interpreting the same thing. Both of us listened to each other's side of it, and we agreed we're never going to come to a conclusion on this that we can agree on, so we're going to walk away from this, disagreeing on this, but we're going to do it like gentlemen. I will say I've been in other conversations with individuals where it did not go that way because I try to listen to their side, and then I try to explain my side, and instead of saying we can disagree agreeably, they'll get mad. That really didn't accomplish anything, did it? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. There may be times that we disagree on something. Now, I'm not talking doctrine. Maybe it's a procedure. Maybe it's something else. That There may be two ways of looking at the same thing, and we disagree on it. Can we learn to disagree agreeably because the cause of Christ is greater than my personal preferences? Can we be courteous about it? Can we still be civil in the way we treat others? Now I'm glad, to the best of my knowledge, here at Freedom Baptist Church, we do do that. But Christian, let's be reminded to continue in brotherly love because Satan would love nothing more than to destroy this church by getting some division and getting some little disagreements over the most ridiculous things to start dividing people and people getting into their little camps ready to go to war over stupid, silly things. And it happens way too often. But we got to remember that we are to continue in brotherly love. We're to remain, dwell. Remember, that's the idea of the word continue in the Greek. This love is to be a genuine love taught by God and brings a unity. And let's remember that. It's a genuine love taught by God that results in unity. That is the type of love we're commanded to have for one another. And when we find ourselves drifting from that love, then Christian, it's time for us to get on our knees and confess our pride to God and continue to demonstrate that love among the brethren.